We read God's Word this morning in Psalm, Psalm 146. We read this in connection with the truth of the Trinity, God the Father, our creation, God the Son and our redemption, God the Spirit and our sanctification. Psalm 146, praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God, while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth, In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, The Lord looseth the prisoners, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. Thus far we read God's holy and inerrant word. May God add His blessing upon the reading of the Holy Scriptures. It's on the basis of this passage and many others in God's word that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 8. Lord's Day 8, how are these articles, referring back to the articles of the Christian faith, how are these articles divided into three parts? The first is of God the Father and our creation. The second of God the Son and our redemption. The third of God the Holy Ghost and our sanctification. Since there is but one only divine essence, why speakest thou of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? Because God has so revealed Himself in His Word that these three distinct persons are the one only true and eternal God. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the subject introduced to us this morning in Lord's Day 8 is the subject of the Trinity. This truth is a deep, a profound, 
And we confess as well a mysterious truth. One theologian stated succinctly, deny the Trinity and you will lose your soul. Try to explain the Trinity and you can lose your mind. We simultaneously maintain that God is three and God is one. And this is not a paradox, but truth. It is not that at one time He is three and at a different time He is one, but it is simultaneous that He is three and He is one. This is a truth that I acknowledge and a truth that you acknowledge. We acknowledge it because, as we confess in the second question and answer, God has so revealed Himself in His Word. Starting already in Genesis chapter 1, we see a plurality of persons. Let us make man in our image. And we who are Christians not only acknowledge this to be truth, but we can go further. We see the necessity of this truth. We understand the value of the doctrine of the Trinity. For apart from the truth of God being three persons, there is no salvation. For who would be your Savior? if God did not have a son. So although we acknowledge the truth of the Trinity, that it's revealed in God's Word, and although we acknowledge the necessity and the value of the Trinity, that there is no salvation apart from it, yet who can say, I comprehend the Trinity, and I can explain the Trinity to someone else. With this doctrine, perhaps like no other doctrine found in the Word of God, we are confronted with the sobering reality that we are dust creatures and God is God. And who can fathom the ways of our God which are beyond us? So we come this morning approaching the truth of the Trinity not with confidence in ourselves or with arrogance or pride, but we come with meekness and humility before the triune God, our triune God. Let's consider that this morning using that as our theme, our triune God. First, true God. Second, believed God. Third, worshipped God. The truth of the Trinity is that God exists eternally as three distinct persons. There is within 
that God had three persons whom we are able to distinguish one from another. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But there are distinct personal characteristics that belong to these three persons within the Holy Godhead. The names that the Scriptures give unto us of these three persons help us understand what it is that makes these three persons unique and even distinct one from another. First of all, there is a Father, the Father. And even young children can understand the idea of what it is to be a father. What is a father? A father is one who begets another. Your father is your father because he has begotten you. And so it is that God, Almighty God in heaven, the first person of the Trinity, is Father. He is Father, not first of all by virtue of the fact that He is your Father, nor first of all by virtue of the fact that He is the One who created all things, that the hills and the mountains and the seas come forth from God the Father, but He is God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, first of all, by virtue of the fact that He has begotten a Son. His only begotten Son. The Father has begotten this Son from all eternity. And that too is something that our minds struggle to understand. How is it that from eternity the Father has begotten or generated the Son. We as earthly men become fathers. There's a time where one is a male, and then if God wills that he marry and bring forth children, then that male becomes a father. But the first person of the Trinity did not become father, He was and is and forever shall remain Father. And then there is the Son, the second person of the Trinity. The Catechism speaks of God, the Son, and our redemption. And again, here the name that the Scriptures give unto the second person of the Trinity reveal unto us what it is that is distinct about the second person. He is called a son because of the fact that he is begotten of the Father. He is not created by the Father. We must understand that distinction. A creation is something that is made by the Father that is outside of the Father. There's a distinction between God who is the Creator and the creation here below. 
The Son is not created by the Father as if the Son is outside of God the Father, but the Son is begotten of the Father. When we think of a son, what we might be inclined to think of is someone who is lesser, lower. Somebody who has less authority, less power, less importance than one who is the father. But we mustn't conceive of the son in that way. We mustn't conceive of the Father as having more value, power, or importance than what the Son has. A man called Athanasius wrote what is called the Athanasian Creed. We confess in the Athanasian Creed, Articles 25 and 26, and in this Trinity, none is before or after. None is greater or less, but the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. And so Jesus Christ, although He is the Son of the Father, has no less divinity than the Father and has no less dignity than the Father. But, the Je- but Jesus Christ, who is the Son of the Father, is fully God. This became evident even at the outset of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ when He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. There was heard booming the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Between the Father and the Son, there is and exists eternally a bond of love. How close the Father and the Son are one to another. We who are earthly fathers or mothers can begin to understand some of the closeness between God the Father and God the Son. I will never forget the moment that I became a father. And the, and, and the feeling of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment that comes at that moment as an earthly father holds his child in His arms. Now this is an earthly, sinful relationship. How much more so then is there not joy and satisfaction as the Father eternally begets the Son? The Father and the Son are held together by a bond. And we can consider what is the bond. Or more precisely, who is the bond? The bond between the Father and the Son is the Spirit. 
Which leads us to the third person of the triune God. The third of God, the Holy Ghost, and our sanctification. And just as with the preceding two persons, so with the third, the name that the Scriptures give unto this third person reveal unto us the personal characteristics of the Holy Ghost. The word ghost throughout both the Old and the New Testaments literally means breath. The Spirit is breathed forth. He is the holy exhaling of God. We who are part of what is called the Western Church, we who are part of the Western Church believe in what is the double procession of the Spirit. And by the double procession of the Spirit, we mean that the Spirit proceeds not only from the Father, that not only the first person breathes forth the Spirit, but that He also proceeds from the Son. That God the Son breathes forth the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We've confessed this double procession of the Holy Spirit ever since the Nicene Creed, written in 325 A.D., which later added the phrase, and the Son. I quote, And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. This distinguishes the Western church from Eastern Orthodoxy, which denies the double procession of the Spirit, maintaining that the Spirit only comes from the first person of the Trinity. So these are then the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And yet these three persons are not three gods, but one God. They are united together in one divine being or essence. The Scriptures throughout both the Old and New Testament make clear that we do not hold to polytheism. We do not worship three different gods, but there is only one God. Hebrews 6 verse 4, which we've been reading the past several weeks now is the summary following the reading of God's law. Not Hebrews, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord our God is one Lord. Isaiah confirms that there is only one God. Isaiah 44, verse 8. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and have declared it? Ye are even my Witnesses, is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. And in the New Testament, Galatians 3, verse 20, 
Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. And so these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are united in their being or in their essence. We do not speak of three divine powers, but there is one divine power. We do not speak of three minds of God, but there is one mind of God. We do not speak of three different eternal wills of God, but there is one eternal will of God. In the Belgic Confession, Article 1, we confess, we all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth that there is one only simple and spiritual being which we call God. Not only is it the case that God is united in His being and in His essence, but we can also speak of these three persons being united in their works that they perform outside of themselves. It's not as if God the Father has His work that He does independently of the Son, who is involved in a different work independently of the Spirit, who is involved in some third work, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all work together as one God. The Father, or rather the triune God, is the one who created you. The triune God is He who redeems you. And the triune God is the One who sanctifies you. Psalm 146 speaks of some of these works of the triune God. We see Him revealed here as the God of creation, the God of redemption, and the God of preservation who preserves His people in holiness. First, we see God revealed as the God of creation. Verses 5 and 6, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is. He is, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, God the Father and our creation. Who is the one who created you? It's not a mere impersonal force, but our Father created us. And then He is the God of our redemption, spoken of in verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 146 which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners. 
The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. Notice here how we who are saved are described. We're described as prisoners or captives to sin and to the devil. The triune God is your Savior as He sent His only begotten Son to become a prisoner to sin. And by His own imprisonment to sin, His suffering, and His death upon the cross, He broke open the doors of that prisoner and He looseth the prisoners. And then He is the God who preserves us in our salvation. Verse 9, The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked He turneth upside down. It is the triune God who is at work in the church in this present day, preserving His people in the salvation which He has wrought for them through Christ. It is especially by the Holy Spirit that God preserves us in our salvation. The Spirit works within us a conviction over our sins. The Spirit so pricks us that we are ashamed of the transgressions that we have done against God's holy law. And then, through the power of the Spirit, God preserves us. And notice how we're described here. The Lord preserves strangers. We're described as strangers here because we walked away from God. Because we wanted nothing to do with Jehovah God. But that does not deter God the Holy Spirit from seeking and saving strangers and bringing them unto Himself. This is then in brief the truth of the Trinity. Three persons united in one divine being or essence who work together as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creating, redeeming, and sanctifying. The question then that we consider this morning, do you believe this truth? This is not intended to be a rhetorical Question. But this is intended for you to examine whether you have faith in the triune God. There are many in the world who want nothing to do with the triune God, who consider the very idea to be an absurdity. How is it possible that your God is simultaneously three and one? They say mockingly. And by nature you and I are no different, but would not believe 
in such a God. How difficult is it for us to believe such a God considering the fact that His ways are beyond our ways. We are very practical, earthly people. We like to be able to hold things in our hands, examine it with our eyes, study it, figure out how it works. And then how frustrating it is to us when there is something physical that we have that doesn't work the way that we had hoped it would work. When one bakes a cake and the cake doesn't turn out the way you want it, and then you get frustrated. What went wrong? When one is operating a vehicle and the vehicle breaks down along the side of the road, what happened here? And so we want to take it into our hands and study it and take it apart and research it until we can figure out what happened here. And then how how frustrated and how upset we get when at times we cannot figure out what happened. Beloved, if we can become frustrated when we cannot discern things earthly, then how much more frustrating could it not be for us when we cannot discern things heavenly? We cannot take our God into our hands, take Him apart, research and study Him. But the fact that He is the Holy Three and One means that He is infinitely beyond us. And we who are dust creatures are hardly beginning to understand the truth of who our God is. Do you believe Him? Though you cannot comprehend Him. And then not only is there the difficulty of believing God because of how great He is, but there also is difficulty, is there not, in believing God because of the practical implications or outworkings of the truth of the Trinity. You see, it's one matter to make a generic confession that yes, I believe in God, And I believe that God is three in one. But it's another thing to believe and love this God when you are confronted with His divinity. Who is God the Father? We saw that He's the God of creation. He has created everything exactly the way that God the Father is pleased to have it created. You know what that means for you practically? It means everything that you consider a deformity in your body, every handicap, every struggle that you have with learning, students, everything that you have in your body, God the Father has given unto you. You love this God 
who created you with these infirmities? Or consider God the Son. God the Son is He who saves us from our sins. But the Scriptures make clear that Jesus Christ is the exclusive Savior of His people. He loosens the prisoners. And He knows who His prisoners are. And He alone takes us who were enslaved to sin and sets us free. And although we love the truth that God is our Savior, what about when we are confronted with the fact that He is not the Savior of every person, head for head, upon the face of this earth? previous Lord's Day in the Catechism taught that very truth. Lord's Day 7, are all men then as they perished in Adam saved by Christ? No. Only those who are engrafted into Him and receive all His benefits by a true faith. And it's one thing to be taught in the Catechism room that God is sovereign over Salvation. And the lines of salvation are drawn along the lines of election. And those who are reprobate are passed over by God. It's one thing to have that taught to you. But it's another thing when God puts in Esau in your home. Now can you love God when He puts a reprobate child, spouse, sibling in your home. Can you understand, beloved, the difficulty in believing this God? It's one thing to make a general confession of Him. It's another thing truly to love the triune God when we are confronted with the practical outworkings of the truth of the Trinity. You understand, of course, the necessity of believing in God. You know that you must believe in God, for apart from believing in the triune God, there is no Salvation. John 17, verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. We spoke earlier of our spiritual father, Athanasius, and the creed that he wrote. In article 28, we with him confess He therefore that will be saved, let him thus think of the Trinity. Even Jesus Christ insisted upon 
the absolute necessity of believing in God. Jesus, who is held up by many today, even many in the church world, as being an example of love and grace and tolerance and acceptance of anybody, even Jesus Christ had very sharp words for those who did not believe on Him. John 8, verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Do you believe? The only way that we can believe is by faith. The psalmist said in the eighth verse, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. That's us by nature. Blind. Blind because we put blindfolds on our own eyes. Blind because by nature we are resistant to God. Blind because by nature we hate the sovereignty of God. Blind because if it were possible, we would shake our fist in the face of the triune God and say, I want nothing to do with you. God opens the eyes of the blind. He does so by giving unto His children the gift of faith. By faith, we are united unto Jesus Christ. By faith, we believe that Jesus Christ gave up His own life in the highest act of love so that we could be delivered from the gates of prison. Faith. Does faith mean that now I comprehend with my natural intellect all that there is to know about God? Does faith mean that now I can comprehend the truth of the Trinity and explain the truth of the Trinity? No. Faith does not give unto us the ability to know everything about God. But faith gives unto us to know enough about God for our salvation. By faith in the triune God, we are able to worship Him. Because God is the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is possible that we can worship Him. Apart from the Trinity, we would never be able to worship God, for we would never know God. But it is because God is the triune God that we are able to 
know Him. We know Him because as the Father, He created us and He shaped us in His image in righteousness, holiness, and knowledge of Him. We know Him because His Son incarnate is the Word of God. And as the Word of God, the Son reveals unto us the Father so that we can know Him in His glory and so that we can know God not just as the God of perfect justice and holiness, but through the Son, we can know God as the captain of our salvation who delivered us from our sins and from the curse that was due unto us for them. He is the light of the world who shines in the midst of darkness. We know God and thus are able to worship Him because of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit? He is the breath of God who proceeds from the Father and from the Son. And where is the Spirit at? In your hearts and in mine. It is not as if God only at one time revealed past tense Himself to us, but He reveals Himself to us by the Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. But not only does the truth of the Trinity make it possible for us to know and thus worship God, but further, beloved, the truth of the Trinity excites us to worship this holy three in one. It gives unto us, this truth gives unto us the motivation to worship God. It is because my God is the holy three in one that we say with the psalmist in the first and second verses, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. We want to worship this God because the triune God is the God of my salvation. Apart from the Trinity, there would be no Savior. But because of the Trinity, God the Father sent His only begotten Son into this world who laid down His life for His children. We want to worship Jehovah God because He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the covenant God within Himself. For the Father begets the Son, and the Son is begotten of the Father, and they are bound together with the Spirit who unites them together in love. But He is not only the covenant God within Himself, but God takes His people 
the work of His hands, and He draws His children unto Himself so that in Him we live and move and have our being. He takes us out of the prison and He draws us to His own table prepared for us by Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we stand in awe of the marvelous works which Thou hast performed on our behalf. We thank Thee that Jesus Christ is our elder brother, And that through Him we are welcome into Thy family and have a place in Thy home. Help us to live as Thy sons and daughters. May we pattern our lives according to the instruction of Thy Word. Forgive us when we rebel. In Jesus' name do we pray this. Amen.